Welcome to The Sound Architect. I am very lucky in having Craig Stewart Garfinkel with me. Thanks for joining us. Very nice to be here, Sam. And we're going to be chatting a bit about Craig's background as well as the current Kickstarter project he started with Ema Noon, or Link to the Celts. So before we discuss the Kickstarter, for the benefit of our listeners, tell, tell us a bit about yourself and how you began your journey into music. Wow. You know, they often say that, you know, composers and musicians, they're not kind, they're not really made, they're more born. And both Emer and I have that recollection of just, it was just always a part of us. It was always something we did. It was always something that just we took to. Uh, I started out just banging away at my parents' piano and not having any idea what was going on or what I was doing. <laughs> uh, I still don't, but at least now I do it better. And I just started figuring things out. And then a lot of times when I, when I finally started actually learning theory and harmony and everything, I found that the things that I had figured out as a kid and I'd been playing as a kid uh, actually had rules and followed the rules and somehow the connections were there. It was, it was more of a, you know, no one had to teach me about those things. It just was, it just made sense to me. Cool. So I don't know if that's an exposure to music at a very young age. My parents always had classical music playing in the house, or if it was just, you know, maybe I'm just some kind of savant. I don't know. It just, that's <laughs> the way it always was. And so uh, I got started very, very young. And by the time I was 10 years old, I just knew this is what I was going to do. It's just that simple. You just always knew. Just always knew. I had no idea how hard it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> how challenging did you find it then? You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I always knew I was going to be a musician. And uh, then I often joke, I have so much more education than my friends who are doctors and lawyers. You know, you've got four years of uh, graduate you know, of, of college and then, you know, four years of medical school or law school and they give me a degree. Yeah. Music is a lifelong study. Oh, yeah, definitely. Not only is it a lifelong study, the number of years that I was in college even matches the number of years that you'd be to be a lawyer or a doctor. Uh, my dad, who was a doctor or is a doctor, uh, probably would have preferred that. <laughs> but <laughs> I was having none of that. I do believe completely in getting a solid, solid music education because even if you've got the natural ability, uh, you don't want to be limited by things you don't know. Yeah. And I know a lot of great friends of mine who are brilliant musicians who readily admit, you know, I wish I had learned this, I wish I had learned that. There are times where I, you know, I've got to hire somebody to do certain things because I didn't have that skill. For me, I never learned how to play piano properly and to this day, I am a hack pianist. I wish I had studied. I wish I had kept with the piano lessons. Uh, guitar always struck me. Guitar was what I always loved. But, uh, you know, I wish I could sit down and play a Bach cantata or something. You know, just it's not there. It's not in my fingers. I just don't have the muscle memory. Yeah, me too, man. I'm a guitarist myself, so I fully, fully understand. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's the pain of the, being a guitarist. I had to actually really learn how to read music. A lot later, because like most guitar players, we are notoriously terrible readers yeah. because we don't have to read in order to be able to play the repertoire in terms of if you're playing jazz or if you're playing rock or if you're playing this. It's not like you sit down and read single lines every day. And then, you know, when I was trying to get into college, I, I realized, oh, well, if I want to get a degree in guitar, I really need to be able to read on this thing. So that's when I started really getting serious as I was uh, finishing up high school and getting into college and went, okay, 
you know, and then went back to the remedial books and bought like, uh, uh, you know, classical guitar for beginners and started yeah. going through that. That must have been weird after playing it, for well, so long. It, it, I had to do it. I had to do it. My degree is now in classical guitar from UCLA. It's one of my degrees. I've got a degree in composition and another degree in classical guitar. Wow, cool. But I never really learned properly classical guitar until I got to college. I basically faked it. Uh, but nobody seemed to mind, and I seemed to get through it anyway. Just uh, the right hand doesn't work the way it's supposed to. So that was my childhood. We can move on to <laughs> the rest yeah, of this years stuff. next, and then... <laughs> oh, yeah. I look back at it. There were so many times you can turn left and you turn right, or uh, all the happenstance, circumstance that lead to a career or lead you to meet certain people and you never know what the most important meeting of your life is until you look back 10 years and go wow if i if i had if i had not gone to that party had i not gone to that event yeah. had i not done this or just had i been lazy and picked up the phone you know not picked up the phone that's really sometimes what the career is about a lot of dumb luck yeah, it's crazy how many coincidences are involved when you speak to people about their kind of, you know, their kind of break into the industry. It wasn't kind of like a, a regimented thing. It's usually, oh, well, you know, on the off chance, I was at this place at this time. Well, one of my jokes is always, in order to be at the right place at the right time, you have to be everywhere all the time. <laughs> That's what I say. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so I try, I try to be ubiquitous. Um, and, but, you know, one of my favorite stories, uh, I've, I've been on the board of the Society of Composers and Lyricists for many years. At one of them, Alan Silvestri was speaking. Uh, and Alan basically boiled his entire career down to the story of, you know, he was going to meet with Robert Zemeckis. It was for the film Romancing the Stone. And he had had a friend who was a music editor who had cut a bunch of his music into the film. Uh, at that point, he had been the composer on Chips, you know, with Ponch and John. Yeah. And, and thought... You know, I really want to do films, but he couldn't break out of the mold of, oh, you're the guy who did Chips. Yeah. So uh, because they liked the music that they cut in, which had nothing to do with regular scoring, it just had to do with all these other scenes that were like disco-y and so on, yeah. uh, finally, he finally got the meeting with Robert Zemeckis. So he wants to feel good about the meeting, so he goes out to uh, the local store and he buys himself this Pierre Cardin sweater. I hope I got the brand name right. <laughs> he buys himself the sweater for the meeting. And he goes to the meeting feeling like a million bucks because he bought this nice sweater. Uh, he shows up at the meeting. And Robert Zemeckis is wearing the same exact sweater. <laughs> he said, my entire career basically boils down to I bought the right sweater. <laughs> and they were fast friends. And, you know, obviously that's what launched, really launched his uh, film music career was the relationship with Bob Zemeckis. Okay, so make sure you buy the right sweater. That's the moral yeah. of the story. The moral of the story is buy the right sweater. I I love composer stories because I look at them as both cautionary tales <laughs> and <laughs> and ways to try to you know learn from everybody else's mistake. You know the the the, the saying is you can't step in the same river twice. And trying to follow another composer's path is impossible because the yeah. path that they took doesn't exist anymore. It's good to recognize opportunities in your own career based on what other composers have seen, based on what other composers have done. 
I took that. A lot of the composers that I admired had uh, studied at UCLA and USC and had gotten involved with the film programs there doing thesis films. So right. for me, while I was at UCLA, I just, you know, I was a, a, a whore. I'd score anybody's <laughs> thesis film. You know, if you have a thesis film, I don't care what it looked like. I wanted it. And uh, that was absolutely part of both my education and the networking that eventually got me my, my first handful of jobs. Yeah, you know? so the people who worked on some of those thesis films go on to make bigger films or bigger trailers and things? Some of them did. A lot of them ended up not going into the business because the business is that tough. And even for the filmmakers, yeah. a lot of them realize, okay, I'm really smart. There's a thousand ways I can make a living that are a lot easier than this. You know, I'm a musician because I can't be happy doing anything else. If I could be happy not being a musician, boy, there are so many easier ways to make money. There's <laughs> <laughs> so many out there, you know. It's definitely the industry where you've got to want it. you got to want it, and it's also an industry where you can die of encouragement. I've been having this conversation with a lot of people lately where I talk about uh, the music business used to be a $17 billion a year business, and it's gone to a 6 or $7 billion a year business. Yeah. So, you know, uh, what is that? 60% of the market has disappeared. And so where did that $10 billion go? It went into, you know, illegal downloads. It went into the devaluation of music. It went into uh, supply and demand. The tools that we need to create music have gotten so cheap, so there's obviously a lot more music than there is need for music. You make a lot less. You're charging less. Uh, everybody wants to do it. Unfortunately, what's happening is you get into a situation where instead of having professionals, you've got hobbyists because so many composers and so many musicians, they can't support themselves just doing music. The studio system, I'm just feeling like the harbinger of death right now. But, but the recording <laughs> studios in Los Angeles, 20 years ago, every one of these studios would have a 15, 20, 30-piece ensemble going five days a week because in order to do music for a TV show or for a film, you would have to have at least 27, 30 musicians. Yeah. Uh, if you were, you could make a nice living, support your kids, and send them to college playing trombone. Without even having a teaching job, you know, because there were that many trombone gigs. Whereas now everyone with VSTs and keyboards. <clears throat> yeah, you can do a lot of it. I mean, for me, the biggest thrill of my life is getting to work with live orchestra and musicians. The great thing about working on World of Warcraft is all of the was all of those recording sessions where where we had people. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, you can tell the difference, man. Kind of, you can tell oh, when real people playing and real musicians involved. Brilliant musicians make the music sound better. Yeah, uh, that's just that simple. And it's also the reason why I personally got into music was to be able to be a part of that community. Otherwise, I'm just sitting here staring at computer screens all day, which is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of a music, music producer's living now, isn't it? Staring at a PC screen with headphones on. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what we do. Uh, it is funny. The most unexpected benefit of doing the Kickstarter was being exposed to and getting a chance to meet all of these people around the world who 
uh, have been exposed to my music, Emer's music, who went to these concerts that Emer conducted, uh, who have watched the video, the Malak video that we put up on YouTube. Otherwise, I'm just sitting here staring at screens on my own, not realizing that what, what I'm doing actually has impact in the world. It must have been overwhelming when you realized how much of an impact it actually had. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was both joyous and scary. Yeah. Because, you know, you put something out there and you realize, wow, that's out there forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's permanent. What goes on the internet now stays there forever. It stays on the internet. It, it, <laughs> there are some films out there that have my music in that that are so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you've watched some old YouTube videos and gone, oh, man. Was that oh, me? man, I thought I thought that film was going to die. <laughs> you thought that was away in some closet somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that leads me nicely onto the Kickstarter, actually. So the Kickstarter that you and Ema set up, A Link to the Celts. Yes. Tell us a bit more about it. You know, for those out there who haven't heard of the Kickstarter, what is it? All right. Last year, Ema and I produced the first Dublin International Game Music Festival. And we really had a great time doing it. We made sure everyone who attended had a you know, life-altering, I don't know, not life-altering is maybe a little strong, <laughs> just made sure they had fun. Yeah. One of the highlights of the festival was an unintended consequence of having an idea and it exceeding beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah. Uh, when I was writing up the long-form outline of what we wanted to do at the festival, we threw out all these different concepts, and one of the concepts was, wouldn't it be great to get a traditional Irish music ensemble to play our favorite video game themes? Emer has always commented that so many of these themes seem to have Celtic roots. Yeah. That you can always, like, t take it back to that. Uh, the rhythms, the six, eights, and so on, those are all very, very Celtic. So we're about six weeks out from the festival, and I've contacted a number of traditional Irish groups and wasn't able to, I wasn't able to really get anybody. Oh, right. Uh, because everyone's really busy, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. And for a lot of them, they didn't understand how massive video game music is or how popular it is, which is understandable. You know, if you're a brilliant, brilliant uh, traditional Irish musician, and that's what you're doing. So we were at RTE. Emer was getting ready for an interview. And our dear friend Patty Duffy, who is one of our uh, co-producers on the festival, who's helping us out with a whole bunch of publicity and all these other things, sees in the hallway one of his friends, Oran, chases him down, knowing that Oran is the head of the Dublin or the DIT Irish Traditional Music Ensemble, and he tells him what crazy idea we have, and he says, "You know what? That sounds like a lot of fun." He, he starts talking to the students. The students are all huge video game music fans. They are going mad for this. Nice. It's like, wow, this is brilliant. Perfect timing. And they are great players. And they know this genre brilliantly. I mean, Emer will tell you, she conducted some of these themes, some of these Irish themes, sounding themes, with every great orchestra of the world. No one really nailed it until the traditional Irish ensemble was doing it because they, they didn't get the feel. The principal violinist from the Royal Phil, with all due respect to his brilliance, he wasn't playing it like a traditional Irish fiddle player. So we're sitting in the audience, we're watching this happen, unfold in front of us, 
And Emer's got tears in her eyes. The sound is just spectacular and moving. Uh, some of the best music is going to be in the Kickstarter too, which we haven't figured out when we're going to do. Well, uh, part two. You know, part two. Well, the theme from Skyrim, the theme from Halo, Assassin's Creed, they all have massive Celtic backgrounds. And when you hear them, when we heard them played by this group, it was astounding. We left there thinking, okay, how, how can we preserve this? How can we make this? We've got to share this. So we decided, okay, well, let's try this. Well, well, Tommy Tellerico, our dear friend and our mentor in so many things, he's such a brilliant businessman and a brilliant creative genius. Uh, he's done a number of Kickstarters, and fortunately for him and I, we've actually worked on a number of his Kickstarters. Um, and so we said to Tommy, will you help us? And we talked to a few other people, and we set up this Kickstarter thinking, okay, let's see what happens. And here we are. We have 22 days left. We've already made, we've passed our goal. Yeah, I was going to say, it's amazing. It's fantastic. You're already fully funded. That's yeah, we're fully funded. We had like $10,000, $11,000 in the first day. Wow. I had no idea. All of a sudden, I'm thinking to myself, yes, you've got this massive audience out there that loves what you're doing. All we did is we took a video of Emer talking about the festival and talking about what we experienced, mixed it in with some cell phone footage. Cell phone footage, because we had no idea. We didn't have professional cameras there. Yeah. You know, Had we known, we would have captured it. So fortunately, some friends of ours were sitting there with their damn cell phones. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't have had it at all. So I edited this all together, um, and we put it out there, and look, it's doing great. It tells us that we're going to do really, really, really well with it. Uh, we're looking at what stretch goals we're going to do. We're talking about doing, if we make it to maybe $60,000, we're going to do a little mini documentary about the whole process. Uh, Did you even think in the beginning that you'd be even considering sixty, seventy thousand? 70000 Hell no! I mean, I mean, in the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, that would be really, really nice, but I set the, uh, the goals at what it really costs to make a CD, uh, and that's what it costs. So you're now thinking up of some extra goals ready for when it gets to that next count. Well, when it gets to the next count, uh, a live stream maybe from uh, one of the recording sessions. That'd be awesome. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, there are probably a whole bunch of people there who'd love to just watch my screen while I mix the music to see yeah. which plugins I'm using, to see what tricks I'm doing uh, to make it sound the way it does. may also give the these lovely, lovely people who were here at the beginning something really special to they really understand what it takes. It's so easy to just turn on the radio and hear a brilliant piece of music. It takes no effort at all. But on the other side of it, you know, you're a sound designer. You know what it takes to oh, yeah. make something really sound. can spend an hour tweaking the EQ on a drum. Yeah, the amount of hours and days it takes to make seconds and minutes of sound. Yeah, it's only a three-minute song. How long could it take? <laughs> yeah. um, we've all heard that one. I'm working on a piece right now for a new game, a job that, that uh, we just got. And I'm staring at my screens here with my 60, 70 tracks, trying to figure out what the perfect combination of all this stuff is 
so that when I have my conference call this afternoon, the client feels like they made a good choice. <laughs> oh, but that's that's the easy, isn't it? You know, that's the easy part, putting the music together. God, obviously. Well, you know what? The hardest part, putting the Kickstarter together is much harder than putting the music together. Really? Oh, yeah. I know how to do the music part. I've been doing that forever. This Kickstarter thing and, and uh, marketing and Facebook ads and... Yeah, I suppose when you've not done it before, it's all something different, isn't it? Well, it is It is and it isn't. I had this conversation with Emer this morning when I realized in, one of the things I've, I've done a lot of different things over the course of my career. One of the things that, that if you've got the skills to run Pro Tools and every sequencer that we all have, jumping off and, and the editing programs for video etc. They all follow kind of the same rules. So if you know one, it's it's easier to pick up other... It's like if you already speak six languages, a seventh language is not such a big deal. So I started with all these sequencers and programs when they were in their infancy, and I grew up with them. So I speak Logic, I speak Pro Tools, Digital Performer, Cubase, Sibelius. Finale, I never got. Finale, I never got. I can't figure that one out for the life of me. But the list goes on. So picking up Avid and picking up Final Cut Pro was like, okay, another language. So over the course of my life, at times, somebody says to me, you know, will you cut this for me? Will you edit this for me? I've done a bit of video editing. So I ended up doing the video editing on the Kickstarter. And I am so grateful that I have those skills because I don't have to hire somebody to do that. And it makes yeah. us able to communicate what we want to do easier. Yeah, because you know what you want to do with it and what you, where you want to take it. Exactly. And you can you don't have to hire somebody to do the video because I couldn't afford to hire somebody to do what I was yeah. doing. Well plus you know the story. So <laughs> That's true. You know the story, you know what you know what it should say. Uh, and so I had a career at times, you know, for a few years here and there, uh, producing promos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. And today I realized, okay, all that promo cutting, the reason why I'll, I did that was that someday I was going to be producing promos for my own stuff, especially in the world where musicians have to reinvent themselves again, which is where we are right now. Yeah. It's the same with sound design. Like you say, you have to have so many more strings to your bow now as well to be oh, able yeah. to carry weight. Exactly. Uh, and to survive. Because yeah. if you only do one thing... Not enough. You just play trombone. But you know what? I think this is more of a global thing as well, that everyone is having to reinvent themselves. The whole idea of, of working for Kodak for 30 years and then retiring, you know, when nobody uses film anymore and Kodak basically is gone. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought that was going to happen? And again, <laughs> the harbinger of uh, harbinger. inspirational speeches from Craig here. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> you caught me, caught me on kind of a, a weird morning. You know, that was one of the things I was. I actually posted on Facebook this morning. Was you know, uh, for those of you who don't or didn't know, or this is the day after last night we found out about uh, James Horner. Yeah, truly sad news. Truly sad news, especially for uh, those who had met him, those who had enjoyed his music, those who loved his music, myself included. I mean, Field of Dreams, what else? I mean, he's just Willow, 
some of my favorite scores are all James Horner scores. Uh, and you know, I got a chance to work with him, or not work with him, but a chance to see him work in the studio on a number of occasions because of wow. teaching and because of my position with the SCL. Uh, and watch him conduct the orchestra. I mean, he was just a brilliant musician who just left us way too early. And yeah. literally, I was, I had just pressed send on the comment to the world about how wonderful it was that our Kickstarter was finally funded. I was sitting there on a big high. I'm like, oh my God, this actually worked. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be successful. We're going to get to do the record. It all started out as a dream. And then I just had the, I just opened up my, uh, my browser after I had pressed send and I see the news about James Horner. And I was just, it was just shocking. Yeah, I mean, it struck the world and the audio community really hard. Such a great loss for a great for loss for all of us. And then I'm, I'm. It's funny. It's a great loss for all of us. And then I'm mad at the regular news programs in Los Angeles because I'm sitting there listening to the radio and nobody's talking about it. Yeah, like, don't you guys realize? Anyway, ah, more death. Emer- <laughs> Humor tells me the difference between American humor and uh, Irish humor, the amount of death. Irish humor has more death. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? That's Irish what she says. Tons of death in it. That's what she says. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> for that, too. I, so that's the Kickstarter. Uh, we still have – it's going till July 15th. Yep. Still a couple of weeks. Just still a couple of weeks. Ahead. And what we're really trying to do – is make sure that everything related directly to the Kickstarter is a collectible item. Right. So that if you buy the CD from the from the Kickstarter, you get the download from the Kickstarter, there is something special about that so that even if we sell CDs afterwards, even if we sell downloads later, it won't be the same. It will be, uh, you know, the musical, I mean, the mixes will be the same, but it won't have that same collectability. So we're really hoping that everyone comes and, and, and supports the Kickstarter while it's still going. Uh, we won't be disappointed if you buy the CD later. <laughs> <laughs> That's always free. a good sign. Always well. a good sign. <laughs> well, you know, we just haven't been able to reach everybody, hopefully, who wants the CD. Celtic versions of the music from Zelda in celebration of the 30th year. Uh, I'm definitely going to be back in it. I'm definitely interested. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, Emer was a big part of the 25th anniversary. She is the face that is on the 3DS videos that were released uh, with the uh, Wii U, awesome. I believe. So if you if you were one of those people who got the Wii and the, the first 3DSs, and it came with all those videos of Emer conducting the music from the game, it was the first time that we were aware of an orchestra being filmed in 3D and an actual game score. It wasn't staged. It was the actual recording session from the game. That Emer says the biggest problem with that was, you know, trying to conduct an orchestra with the heat of the lights, with the air conditioning going out. Oh God, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, it was <laughs> it was far from ideal recording circumstance. Everyone's there sweating away. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, there's the added immediacy of having the cameras there, and and it really was a. a she loved being a part of that. Uh, and those, those, some of those bootlegs have had millions of views on YouTube. 
Um, so that's really cool. It's part of what... That's awesome, man. Well, it's part of what led us to say, you know what? These people know Emer. We should just see if, you know, see what happens if we put out a Kickstarter. You know? Yeah, well, it obviously worked. <laughs> well, so far. So far, it's working. We have to figure out what we're going to do next. We have the... We are doing another Dublin International Game Music Festival. We have it planned for April 29th through the 1st of May next year. Good, because I missed the first one and I was absolutely gutted. Oh, well, we're tr- we need to get... Last year we had a, 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 a nice turnout, but what, wouldn't it be great if we had five or 10,000 people there? Oh, yeah. I would just be so ecstatic because it just... There are there's like the Magfest and some other festivals that do draw those kinds of things. But to imagine being able to draw all those people to Dublin for a big party. Dublin's a great city for this. Oh and, yeah. And anyway, so That'd be incredible. So we'll see you there, right, Sam? Yeah, I'm definitely going next year. <laughs> okay. Definitely. Right, tickets are going to go. Are scheduled to go on sale July 1st, and we're going to have a whole bunch of early bird two for one tickets uh, to start. I have to give the plug. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. You go for it. Shameless plug. You're on the end. Shameless yeah, plug, go. yeah. <laughs> um, most of it. Yeah, so that's our next big project after we're done with the Kickstarter, and we are going to release the album and perform those versions at the festival. We're not. The DIT, the <laughs> traditional Music Ensemble, will. Video Games Live is, is slated to come back. Uh, all the people who were there last year have been have already committed to coming back. Now, of course, schedules change, people change. Last year, there were a handful of people who who we had bought plane tickets for, and then got a, a huge gig and said, "You know, Craig, I'm so sorry." So, okay, they're going to come this year. I won't announce who they are until they're on their plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until they turn up, they're there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that's about it for now. I'm just I'm I'm feeling like I'm going to. Uh, I'll go back into death again if you keep me going. <laughs> <laughs> so if I let you ramble too much, we'll go yeah. to the dark, sinister side. Exactly. But, <laughs> but no, yeah, that pretty much covered my final question, I think, which was going to be what lies in the future now. But we've got IDIG coming up. There's the stretch goals for the Kickstarter, maybe a Kickstarter 2 for the other themes as well. Mm-hmm. It all looks like it's coming up. And then this video game uh, that I'm staring at right now, uh, and I've got to finish this mix for my client this afternoon. So I'm going, yeah, yeah. I'm going to dive back into that and try to make some music here. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Sound Architect, and we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule for us. No, thank you, Sam. It's such great to be able to talk to you and talk to all your audience. This is great. Thank you very much. <laughs>